morning. Um, Today's scripture reading is from the gospel according to John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water so they will be filled to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everybody brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer as we bring David up here? Living God, uh, we are in this very specific season of, of learning alongside and growing with a community of preachers. And it's a very different season that we're in from what we're often used to. But nonetheless, we thank you for the gift of being able to listen to your words being opened by various individuals. And we give you thanks that David is part of that uh, particular team for this season. And we ask that you will fill him with your Holy Spirit. And we ask that more than anything else, that he will preach out of the joy of a child who's invited to your table, a generous God, a loving God. And so be with us as we spend time in your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to your church. Um, we are starting our fall season and uh, no, some of you might uh, be uh, still not quite ready for it. Maybe you are uh, coming back from a, from a restful time and you have to go back into teaching mode, that grueling schedule. Maybe you're a student and uh, are you know, getting ready for all the credits, all the, all the assignments, all the things you have to do. Maybe the summertime was a time for you to connect with your loved ones. You got to see them. And now you are uh, grieving or sad that um, they're back, they're away. Um, or maybe you are just just glad that uh, you know the rain are the rains are gonna come back, and you really look forward to that. If you're, um, yeah, those people exist. <laughs> we do need the rain. It, it is, it's been a very dry summer, right? Well, today is September 10th. Um, it is our, our fall kickoff, and uh, we are excited to start something new. But September 10th is also my parents' wedding anniversary. Yay! Thanks. 
and dad, I, I'm so happy you said yes to each other on that day. <laughs> I literally would not be here if you had it. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I am, and I'm grateful that uh, 57 years later, you keep saying yes to each other every day. I asked my mother uh, the other day, I asked her, what do you remember about your wedding? You know, reading about a wedding in the passage, so I thought, okay, well, ask my parents. Um, because I don't remember much about my own wedding, because it kind of goes like so fast, right, that day. <laughs> Anyhow, I was surprised. When I asked my mom, I asked, uh, I, I was surprised to learn that she remembered every detail about the food that was served um, that day. You know, it's been 57 years. Um, but she remembered. It was most interesting to learn that one of the big concerns that she had or that the family had was the number of guests that were in attendance. So some had been officially invited and others simply joined. Uh, you know, because they were part of the community. That's how you did it in Bolivia back in the day. Uh, and at that point, Bolivian culture uh, was similar to Jesus' own culture. It was hard to predict how many guests would show up. You had to be prepared. We don't know exactly what happened uh, in the wedding that Jesus attended in Canaan. Perhaps there was a very limited supply of wine to begin with. I know that was my case. So when Suzanne and I got married, we had like no money. Recent region graduates, you know. I, anyhow, uh, but maybe that was that wasn't the case. Um, maybe more people than expect, expected showed up, uh, or perhaps the problem was that the number of guests. Uh, the, the problem wasn't the number of guests, but the amount of wine they drank. Um, we don't know. What we do know is that not having enough wine was going to be a massively embarrassing situation for this new couple. The last time I preached on this passage, and it wasn't, wasn't that long ago, about three months, thank you, Justin, um, I focused a great deal on the first words of Mary. The first words of Mary to Jesus are, they have no more wine. <laughs> Mary spoke these words to Jesus, and this intervention created the first opportunity for Jesus to reveal his glory. If you want to understand more about that, I invite you to go to our website and look at that sermon. There's also a wonderful sermon from uh, two years ago or a year ago that our, uh, our brother from... Um, uh, from Palestine, Johanna Catanacho preached on this passage too. So uh, I encourage you to go and uh, listen to those. But um, um, this time, as I studied the passage and prepared for this sermon, I focused on Mary's second intervention. After she had brought the crisis to Jesus' attention, she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. So I wanted to focus on those words today. Now, we read that there were six big, uh, six big stone jars capable of holding about 30 gallons each. So six times 30 is uh, 
108, right? Uh, so it's a lot of wine, uh, a lot of wine. Uh, Jesus instructs the servants to fill the jars with water. That is a lot of work to fill up uh, uh, so much with water. That's a lot of water. Just to give you an idea, when you take a bath regularly, regularly you're using about 30 gallons of water. So to fill that up with smaller containers, it's a lot of work. Uh, so Mary's words are like, do whatever he says. It might have not made sense at the moment, right? But okay, do whatever he says. Um, this is not a one-person job. It takes a group of people to get things done. And that's one of the one things, that's one of the things I wanted to, to, to focus on first. It takes groups, it takes teams of people to do things. Most things are not a one-person job. So when they finally get the job done, the next instruction is to take a little taste to the master of the banquet, you know, the sort of um, wedding planner of the day, right? And you remember the reaction, right? Like it was the best wine. Six bathtubs full of the best wine. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the grace the abundant generosity, the abundant love for this new couple, six bathtubs of the best wine ever. It reminds me of the times when, uh, when people in our church uh, get together and uh, organize something like a meal train. That's the word, right? Meal train? You, when you uh, set up a roster of people to, to help someone. Um, yeah, when people get together and organize a meal train to help a, a, a family. That is such a beautiful way to express love in our community. It shows that we are growing into the community that Jesus wants us to be. This theme of abundance is very important in the Gospel of John. There's a couple other episodes where abundant provision is the key topic. Can anybody think of one of them at least in the Gospel of John when there's also abundant provision, miraculous abundant provision? Yeah, the feeding of the 5,000, bread, right? Uh, bread and fish, uh, where Jesus gives instruction to his disciples for serving the fish and bread that he was going to provide. And what I like about that passage of the, in, in the version of, uh, of John is that he even gives instructions to clean up. Jesus was kind of like a zero waste kind of guy. Okay? And again, it takes a team of people to get things done. Right? 5,000 people. And they had abundant, abundant provision. The, the generosity, the grace. And uh, remem remembering that, I, I remember the volunteers and the team, and thank you, Pastor Rebecca, for organizing this and leading this. The team that prepare the table, prepares the table for us every Sunday in the fellowship room. Thank you so much. It means a lot. It makes us a better church. Yeah. 
Thank you for setting up the table and cleaning up, like Jesus. Twelve baskets were collected that day. Um, after that, uh, Jesus, after Jesus fed them at uh, that time, when he fed the 5,000, the people wanted to proclaim him as king. But Jesus escaped to the hills. Of course, he was worthy to be proclaimed king. But um, it was God the Father who had to crown him king. Not uh, us, first of all. We recognize that he's been crowned. But it's not us, that the people that crown him. It is the Father. Um, besides, uh, in, in John's account of this miracle, Jesus fed 5,000 out of generosity and the need to teach us something to his disciples. He did it out of generosity, not to gain our, our admiration. That's Jesus. But there's another episode in the Gospel of John that is uh, also about abundant provision. Can you remember? This one is a bit harder. I was missing it, and then, uh, and then Susanna pointed it out to me, and I had to change the sermon. So uh, do you remember another episode in the Gospel of John when there's abundant provision? Yes. Well, who's a biblical scholar there? Who's, oh, thank you, Wendy. Yes. Uh, at the end of the book, in chapter 21, at the end of the book, we read about the last time that Jesus manifested his glory. Do you see a pattern here? The first time that Jesus manifested his glory was abundant good wine. And the last time he manifested, in the story that John tells, the last time he manifested his glory, it was with an abundant catch of the biggest fish. So big that they were almost about to tear the net, if you remember that episode. Um, Jesus had already been uh, crucified and resurrected. The way John tells his story, it seems like it took a while for Jesus' disciples to process the shock, to get over the shock of seeing him be killed and seeing him alive again. You know, it's a lot to take in, right? Like we shouldn't be too hard on the disciples. Imagine if in one week that happened, you witness that. Boy, it's a lot to process. Um, but one day, they decided to go fishing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, by the but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So there they are, out fishing, and he's on the shore. And he called out to them, Friends, have you any fish? Haven't you any fish? And they answered, No. And he said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to hold the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. They recognized him out of that abundant provision. And that day, Jesus prepared breakfast for all of them at the beach. Can you imagine that breakfast? So, at the beginning of the story, we have stories of our Lord providing generous, generously. And at the end, we also see him not only providing, but actually serving himself the food. 
That is our master. It's not someone that just commands, you know, gives instructions. He'll actually get there and cook the food for us. How amazing is that? That's leadership. That's generosity. That is grace. Oh, that we may be like him. Let me speak on behalf of the pastoral team and our, uh, and our seasonal preacher, Tom May. We are excited for the opportunity we have to put in practice what we will be learning at the table with Jesus. I wanted to have these elements here to remind us how important the table it is in our discipleship. Come, let's sit at the table with Jesus this season. We will enjoy his company. We will learn to enjoy each other's company. We will learn that there is room for the hungry, for the marginalized, for the thirsty. We will learn that Jesus loves generosity. We will learn about forgiveness and restoration this season. All of that at the table. Some Christians, uh, including me, are very demanding about the quality of the sermons. You know, uh, we want good content, right? And I believe that's, that's good. It's a very good thing to, to do, to be. Content and delivery are very important. However, if we were to ask Jesus about what makes a good sermon series, I'm sure he would first ask us, well, how much of that teaching are you putting in practice? He would come back with something like that. Not so much about the delivery, um, you know, and those things that are important, but he would first ask us, how much of that series are you putting in practice? Those are sobering words for me as a preacher and should be sobering words for all of us as members of this community. So how can we put into practice what we will learn in this series? Join others in setting up tables of hospitality, but not only on Sundays. If Jesus can provide wine and fish and bread abundantly, he can also provide us with opportunities to serve others at home, at work, and out on the streets. Second, remember that Jesus has set the table for you. This is your family. Receive the meals with gratitude. Receive the meal, Jesus' meal, with joy. Jesus has set the table for you. You are welcome at the table. That is important. I was overcome this week as I was preparing uh, with the memory of how uh, of a couple of people that have extended the table for me in key moments in my life. The first one was uh, it's a, it's a couple from, um, so I was, I was 11 years old, uh, you know, um, very, very important transition age, right? Uh, and uh, we had moved countries with my parents and I was uh, living in this new country, Argentina. And uh, there was a couple there, uh, Isabel and Silvio. And they had 
uh, Silvio was not from Argentina. He was from Paraguay, but he had immigrated there. But together they set up this table in this tiny church in the outskirts of the city. And they welcomed children. Uh, they got a little camp thing going weekly. And, you know, like Isabel used to go out in the slums and, uh, you know, invite families, children from those slums to come and and have a, have a time for playing soccer, for playing games and having a good snack. And, you know, we would go alongside with her and uh, have a, have a great time. It lasted for hours on Sunday afternoon, or Saturday afternoons. They, it was simple. There wasn't much to it. The, the church really was a house. That, you know, the garage was our sanctuary. And uh, the, the yard was you know, where we played and did all the games. Um, but it was a wonderful time. I think I am a Christian because of what they did. Uh, you know, my parents were always believers, come from a uh, family of believers. But when I made faith my own, it's, I think it's because that welcoming table I got from Isabella and Silvia many years ago. Another time, and I know you have your own stories of when people have extended the table for you. But another story that warmed my heart was when I first moved to Canada. And this is such an important thing for us to be welcoming of uh, newcomers, uh, international uh, students or immigrants or refugees. When I first uh, came to Canada many, many years ago, I uh, landed on Commercial Drive because it used to be affordable back then. Um, but uh, you know, I ended up um, going to Grandview, Grandview Calvary. And uh, there I was met uh, by, so this couple met me, um, Howard and Shirley. Howard had the most amazing gift of encouraging. Every time you talked to him, you just felt better about yourself. Uh, you know, I was struggling with, with English. I remember sort of kind of like what Natalie did, came and read. No, I read, and I totally butchered the passage with my pronunciation. And Howard had a way to, you know, make me feel better. And every, everyone I talked to, you know, says that Howard had that gift. And Shirley was a bit more reserved, but boy, she was welcoming. She made sure that there, were, there was provision for people in the church. I was visiting a retreat center that they helped build in Bowen Island, and I was reminded of how generous their hospitality, how, how much that had shaped my life. So when you, shape, when you uh, extend the table to someone, you don't know how you will be impacting them. You don't know the repercussions that that act um, will have in their lives. So I encourage you to do that. But remember, remember this. This is your table. You are invited. Jesus really wants you to sit at the table next to him. How badly do you think Jesus wants you to be at his table? Let me tell you how badly. Jesus really, really wants you at his table forever. He gave everything so that you may have a taste of his abundant grace. Let me show you something in scripture. The next time that Jesus and his mother Mary speak to each other in the Gospel of John, right? 
there is also wine involved. But this is at the end of the story. In John chapter 19. Verse 25 says this. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her home, took her Mary to his home. Jesus is hanging from the cross when he's saying those words. He looks at Mary, his mother, who three years before had brought the need of others to Jesus' attention. This time, it is Jesus who notices. Even as he's suffering, the crisis that Mary is in. And once again, Jesus gives instructions. Woman, here is your son. And to his friend, here is your mother. From that time on, as we said, his friend took Mary into his home. Jesus gave everything so that you may be at the table. Immediately after this, Jesus feels agonizing thirst. And here comes the wine. But this time, it is a bitter wine. Something that can rightly be translated as vinegar. Jesus drinks this wine and he says, he says, it is finished. Because it is finished, we are given a place at the table among brothers and sisters. We're given abundant bread. We're given abundant wine. Jesus really wants you at the table. Really, really wants you at the table. Let's make sure then that we invite others to this table of abundance and goodness. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.